Well, we've seen in the last few months that things can fall apart really quickly. Um, things we thought were stable and would go on forever um, have ended or stopped. Sports were shut down. Um, businesses have closed. People have lost their jobs. It's been pretty tough for a lot of people the last few months. But in those times, sometimes it's hard to know who you can trust and what's really going to last and what you can depend on. Um, where you can have a solid foundation no matter what. And so this more, today we are continuing to work our way through 1 Peter. And we've seen Peter kind of call us to live by the word, to have hope, to be holy. And today he's going to continue to unpack what that looks like. And it focuses on building on the true foundation. And so let's read it together. 1 Peter chapter 2 um, verses 1 through 8, and it says this, So put away all malice and all deceit and hypocrisy and envy and all slander. Like newborn infants long for the pure spiritual milk, that by it you may grow up into salvation, if indeed you have tasted that the Lord is good. As you come to him, a living stone rejected by men, but in the sight of God chosen and precious, you yourselves, like living stones, are being built up as a spiritual house, to be a holy priesthood, to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. So the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone, and a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. And so today we're just going to kind of work through it and we're going to see that we have hope in the cornerstone, that Jesus as our cornerstone gives us hope. And we're going to look at how we can build on that. So we'll be talking about how we can be, what we need to be built on in order to experience that hope from the cornerstone. And so first he calls us to be built on the word, right? He's he says at the beginning to long for the pure spiritual milk, right? And so we need to desire, we have to be built on the word and desire nourishment from the word. The word for spiritual in the Greek is logikos, which is from logos, which connects us back to chapter one, which is word, where he talks about being built on the word. And so what he's saying here is we need to long for, we need to desire, we need to crave the spiritual milk of the word, like a newborn, right? Like a newborn craves milk when they are hungry. They scream and they cry and they do whatever they can do to get your attention until they get the milk that they're looking for. And so that's kind of the concept that Peter wants us to have is he wants us to desire it, to crave it, to do whatever it takes to experience the word and to get spiritually fed from the word. And so this word for long for also means to develop an appetite for, right? Not just to desire the word, but to cultivate a taste for it, right? One of the things that I, I don't ever really drink is coffee um, and also alcohol. But in both of, the the, both of these examples, um, it, I just don't like the taste. And so anytime I kind of talk about why I don't drink those, um, I just say it just doesn't taste good. And then people will say, well, you just have to acquire the taste, right? You just have to teach yourself to drink it and that it's okay. To which I respond, well, I, but I'll just stick with drinking things that already taste good to me and then I don't have to acquire any tastes. 
right? But that's kind of what he's talking about here is we need to acquire a taste for the word. I know that it's not always the easiest thing to read or the easiest thing to understand or the thing that's most accessible to us all the time with when we're surrounded by all of these other things vying for our attention. We need to acquire the taste, right? And if you don't usually read your Bible or if you're a non-believer who is watching or listening today, I'm, I'm encouraging you to expand your palate to try something different, to read something different, to read the actual source of Christianity, which you may say you don't believe or you don't agree with. But I challenge you just to read it, to experience it, to see if you might like it, if it might mean something to you, if it might reveal something to you or prove some of your misconceptions wrong. But if you are a believer, my challenge to you is to cut out the junk food, Right, to taste and see that the Word is good, that the Lord is good. And don't read only secondary materials, only your Sunday school material, or only devotionals, or only commentaries if you're studying the Word, but to actually read the Word itself in context, in larger chunks, not just one verse at a time here and there, but to read chapters, or even read through a whole book in a row. To focus on the Word, to read the Word, to build a taste for the Word, to say when you, when you don't read your Bible for a couple of days or even a few days, you, you can begin to feel this desire to read it, to pull you back towards it. Because the, when we focus on the Word as the main thing, it's the only way to have a fulfilling life. Everything else will let us down, but the Word will stand true forever. The other thing he talks about at the beginning of these words is to throw off some things, right? Get rid of hypocrisy, malice, deceit, envy, slander, to kind of throw them off. And what he's kind of getting to see is that these behaviors are not compatible with life in the word. And what he's really asking us to do is fight against relationship or community destroying attitudes and actions. And so these things, if you do these things, it's true for all people, believers and non-believers as well. These will destroy your relationships. They will destroy your community. Ill will, dishonesty, pretending, jealousy, and lies all destroy healthy relationships and healthy churches. They push people apart rather than pulling them together. And so as a church, especially, we should be focused on the word and living that out. So when the things that he lists, the the malice and deceit and hypocrisy and envy and slander, when those things show up, we don't tolerate them or we don't let them fester, but we deal with them quickly and graciously and lovingly. And that's important because that's where he goes to next. It's important that we deal with those things and can keep our community together and growing towards one another and encouraging one another because we are living stones who are built up together. We see this in verses 4 and 5. Right? As you come to you yourselves like living stones are being built up as a spiritual house to be a holy priesthood to offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God through Jesus Christ. So he calls us to be built on each other. We're built up together. He calls us all living stones that we're all the kind of these rocks that are building this spiritual house together. They're building a temple. 
and the house can't be complete without all the stones. And so this verse helps us to appreciate how much we need each other as Christians. God has a purpose for all of us to fulfill, and we can't do that on our own. We can't do that individually. Right? We can't complete God's purpose. Almost every time that spiritual gifts and talents are referenced in Scripture, it's in the context of community. Right? He gives in Ephesians 4, I give you pastors, teachers, prophets, evangelists, for, to build up the body of Christ so that all may come to maturity. And again and again, he says, we're in this together. Your gifts and your talents, you're in the church to build one another up. And we need everyone. Right? We need everyone to build the body up, to complete the body. Everybody needs to build their part. And when we all do that, when we all come together and we use our gifts for the good of others, and we do it all the way, not just tiptoeing in, right? I'll do a little bit here and a little bit there, but really it's my time and it's my energy and it's my talents and it's my gifts, so I should get to decide when I use them and how I use them. Right? But when we go all in and say, I'm here to serve the church however God desires for me to serve and however my leaders think is best for me to serve at this time. Right? When we do that, we worship together through our lives and actions. Right? We offer spiritual sacrifices acceptable to God. Right? This is an echo of Romans 12 where he says, um, make yourself a living sacrifice. Is a, your spiritual act of worship, which is essentially living your life in sacrifice to God and doing what He desires over what you desire. And when you do that, no matter what area of life it is, that is spiritually worshiping God. And so when we all do that together, we build this temple that offers sacrifices and worship to God together. And last, we see that we need to be built up on the cornerstone. Right? We see this in verses 6 through 8. It says, For it stands in Scripture, Behold, I am laying in Zion a stone, a cornerstone chosen and precious, and whoever believes in him will not be put to shame. And so the honor is for you who believe, but for those who do not believe, the stone that the builders rejected has become the cornerstone. And a stone of stumbling and a rock of offense. They stumble because they disobey the word as they were destined to do. So the call is to be built on the cornerstone. And first, when he talks about the, the cornerstone, he's talking as reference to Jesus. And it says it was rejected by men. Essentially what he's saying is, the men of that time, the leaders, the, the religious leaders, the, the government leaders, the authorities, they examined Jesus. They looked at his life. They looked at his teaching. They looked at what he was saying. And he seemed to be lacking. Or he didn't seem to live up to what he was saying. Or they didn't believe what he was saying. So they just cast him aside and said, we don't need to listen to him. Right? But here's the thing. People don't know what to look for. They don't know how to evaluate correctly. The examiner is only as good as their knowledge and understanding. And the problem is, all of our knowledge is limited and twisted. We know this because if you look back at your life 10 years, 
at least for me, it still works this way. When I look at what I was doing 10 years ago, I say, man, I had no idea what I was doing 10 years ago. Right? And so we understand that we learn and grow over time and we're way more wise, we're way more understanding, we're way more intelligent even than we were 10 years ago. And so we understand that we learn and grow over time. The other issue is we think we are in control of our thoughts and our desires. But we aren't. We are controlled by our desire for something else, whether it's comfort or success, or approval, or whatever it may be, those things drive us in our behavior and what we do. So we think we know what we want. We think we know who we should be. We think we know what we need. We th- but all of that is flawed. Right? Because this gives us an example of that. The people, the, the Savior of the world was right in front of them. For them to see and to listen to and experience, but they didn't listen. They rejected him outright. They didn't listen. Right, and so that gives us an example that even when God is putting something in our path for us to see and us to trust and to help us, when we rely on our own knowledge, our own desires, our own interpretations of things, it easily pulls us off track. But the good news is, even with our flawed thinking, our selfish desires, God can choose us, right? Just like we see here that he chose Jesus. Jesus was rejected by men, but chosen by God. God knew exactly what we needed for our salvation and to overcome our broken desires, right? We remember from chapter one that before the foundation of the world, Jesus was chosen. He was selected and God together as the Godhead, decided to do this. And so he knew in advance, and he sent Jesus to die for us, for all of us. And in the same way, he chooses us. He opens our eyes to see clearly. He draws us to himself. He chooses to save us, not because of anything we have done, but out of his mercy and his grace. Which leads us to kind of the conclusion of these verses, right? Encountering Christ results in two different outcomes, right? You have those who believe, who trust in, who build on the cornerstone. It says they will never be put to shame. They will receive honor. They will receive salvation from their sins, from their selfishness, from their wickedness. They will be redeemed. They will be purchased. They will be bought by Jesus' sacrifice on the cross for us so that we can be free from those desires which control us and we can live the way that God intended. We can become who he created us to be. We can become the real us, the one intended by our creator. But those who don't believe, who cast aside the foundation, who ignore the cornerstone, what do they get? They get stumbling. Right? This is essentially saying when you come across Christ, it's going to cause you to stumble. It's going to cause you to fall. It causes you to trip. It causes you shame. And eventually, it will cause you destruction. Right? That you'll be eternally separated from God for all eternity. 
right? And so you're either building on the foundation and being built up or you're falling and tripping and stumbling, right? Those are the two ways that we see it. And so it's really a choice, right? Will you believe? Will you trust? Will you give your life over to Christ, all of it, and not hold anything back? Or will you hang on to things on your own, hoping that you know best, or that you are right, or that you know what is best, and you can decipher on your own whether God is real or not, or whether what he's asking you is the right thing to do or not. And my hope is that you will choose Christ and receive life. That you will realize that, that, that some of our, our struggles, some of our pain, some of the things that we're dealing with are because of us, because we think we can do what's right. But in the end, we realize that we can't, that we need help. We need somebody smarter than us, wiser than us, who knows more than us. And that person is the creator who created all of us, who created the world, who created an opportunity for us to have salvation, for us to be made new, to have new desires, to develop a taste for the true word, which results in us living a fulfilled life that's not empty or lacking, or when something falls apart, it doesn't crumble. Right? But this solid foundation, this cornerstone, is really meaning foundation. It's what everything else is built on. That everything else we have, everything else we do is built on Christ. Our lives are built on Christ. Our salvation is built on Christ. Our purpose is built on Christ. Our church is built on Christ. All of those things on the true foundation that never crumbles and never falls away. No matter the situation, and that gives us hope. Will you pray with me? God, we come before you and we thank you for who you are. We thank you for what you've done. We do thank you for your word that you give it to us. I pray that you would build into us a desire, a, a thirst, a hunger for your word. That when we're away from it for too long or when we haven't read enough and we just read a verse here or there, you will pull us back to it that will give us a desire to read your word, to study your word, to understand your word, to listen to your word, to pray through your word. And I pray that as we do that, you will change our lives, you will change our hearts, you will help us to see clearly who you are, but also who we are, so that we can trust in you and follow you and be renewed and redeemed, and our lives can be changed and our lives can be full and our lives can be free so i pray that you will help us as a community of believers to do that together that we won't pretend or spread lies or talk bad about others in our congregation but that we'll be open and honest and vulnerable and encouraging in what we do together so that as we build one another up that everything we do, not just when we show up or worship together in a worship service, but everything we do as a community is an act of worship that glorifies you. So God, I pray that we would choose you. 
again and again and again, that every morning we would say, God, I choose you. I'll follow you. I'll listen to you. The other things that, that want my attention, that want my energy, that want my affections, I'll lay them aside to follow you. So God, help give us the strength and the discipline and the courage that it takes to do that day after day after day. And help us to have hope in you because you are the only thing that lasts. In your name I pray. Amen.